0: Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit SozoSMTX.com. Thank you, Dustin. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Man, it is Christmas time. Isn't that incredible? This has been the strangest year, but I am like, I'm ready for Christmas. Anybody else? Who likes giving gifts? Anybody? Who likes receiving gifts? Come on. It's fun. You know, being a a dad, as my kids get older, I get really excited about giving gifts. It is a lot of fun to give gifts. And uh, I'm really looking forward, actually, to this Christmas. I think it's going to be a whole lot of fun to give gifts this Christmas. Um, and I also love receiving gifts. For me, for probably many of you, that's a love language, it may not be your highest one, but it's still, it's like, it's kinda nice to receive a gift. Have you ever received a bad gift? Anybody, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, it's it's and it's not so much, like they say with giving a gift, it's the thought that counts, but I think what makes a bad gift is the lack of thought, right? Where it's like, do you even know me? Right? Have you ever received one of those? If you're just going to be honest, we're in church, so you should probably be honest. I've received some of those before. I won't recall those um, from the stage because, yeah, that's probably a bad idea. But I believe that, that giving gifts is actually part of the heart of God. I love John 3.16, you know, it. for God so loved the world that he gave. And I love what James writes, that every good and perfect gift is from above, from the father of heavenly lights who does not change. And I believe that God loves generosity, that he loves to give good gifts. I believe that's why God gave us Jesus, the greatest gift in all of human history. So let's take a look at Scripture, and we're just going to look at the gift of Jesus, the way that God gives gifts. And so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit through the holy spirit because Jesus, because Joseph her husband was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace he had in mind to divorce her quietly now they were engaged but in that day to be engaged it was about a year long process and it was as if you were already married it was all set and so for Joseph to break off that wedding would have been divorce it would have been a big deal so they were waiting to be married, but it was as if they were already married. And it goes on to say, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary. It's interesting that Jesus says, or that the the angel says to Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary. He was actually leaving it up to Joseph to decide. You see, the way that God works is that he always gives us a choice. And Joseph in this moment had a choice. Would he respond or not? And I believe as we think about Jesus, we should know that we have a choice. That God is not forcing his will upon us, but instead he's inviting us to receive. It says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Throughout all of human history and clearly evidenced in the Old Testament, humanity has been wondering, what does it take to get to God? Do you remember in the beginning of Genesis in chapter 11, there, there's the story of the Tower of Babel. When I was a kid, I was taught, or at least I believed that it was the story of the Tower of Babel. And they babbled afterwards, so maybe it fits. But they were trying to build a tower so that they could reach into the heavens to get to God. It didn't work. In fact, it dishonored God. I believe the reason why that tower dishonored God is because God already had plan A in mind and it was Jesus, that he was coming to earth. He wasn't wanting them to get to him, he was coming to us. Then we see a little bit further into the story, we see Moses on Mount Sinai. And it's interesting the way that Deuteronomy 5 tells the story is that God actually was inviting all of Israel to the top of the mountain because he didn't want priests, a go between, he wanted a whole people, a whole kingdom of priests. And it says that they were afraid and so they asked Moses to go for them. Afraid to make contact with God, afraid to be with God. And so they settled for relating to God through laws and through a sacrificial system, but they knew, they knew there was more. If you read the Psalms of David, you could recognize that he knew there was more available. What would it look like to walk in relationship with God? How does man get to God? How would we know what it's like to interact with God? What do we have to do? Do we have to be perfect? Do we have to have everything all together? Do we have to say the right prayers? Do we have to do and not do the right things? What does it take? What we find in this story and in Jesus is that God was not expecting us to get ready for him. He was getting ready for us. He wasn't expecting us to get it all together so that we could approach him, but instead he came to approach us. I believe the greatest truth that we can find in the Christmas story and the incarnation of Jesus is that God is in pursuit of us. God is in pursuit of you. Emmanuel, God with us. Not God distant, not God far off, but God with us. We've said many times that this year is like a a year like no other, right? Like it's been a challenge, it's been difficult and sometimes when we judge our faith or even when we judge God by our circumstances, what we tend to find is that we begin to believe that he's far off, but that's the furthest thing from the truth, God is in the middle of the mess right with us. You see, I think this about a good gift. A good gift says that I see you and that I'm moving towards you in love. That I see you, I see your circumstances, I see your needs, I see your wants, I see your desires, I see your lack, I see your mess. And I'm not put off by it, but instead I'm moving towards you in love, not in demand, not in control, not in power, but in love. I believe that Jesus is a picture of the heart of God, that he's actually moving towards you. Even now, in this very moment, God is moving towards you in love. He's not moving towards you in in judgment. He's not moving towards you in condemnation. He's not moving towards you thinking about the thought you were just thinking about that would displease him, but instead he is moving towards you in love. And he's crazy about you. In fact, he's so crazy about you that he would leave all of the splendor of heaven in pursuit of you. Philippians 2 says that he surrendered his divine privilege in pursuit of you and me. Everything that he had, all the power that he had backing him, he gave up and he came as a baby. I believe that in the baby Jesus, the six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus (laughs) in the manger, that God was actually saying, the way that I will come to you is vulnerably. The way that I'll come to you is wholeheartedly. Think about this. The creator of the universe, we know that everything was created through Jesus. And his creation, from the time that he stepped into planet Earth as a baby, his creation was trying to kill him. King Herod lost his mind if he ever had one and was coming after baby Jesus, threatened by a baby. And God's saying, I'll come to you vulnerably. You can choose me or you can reject me. But I'm coming towards you and I'm coming towards you in love. So look at the story in Luke chapter 2. It gives us a little bit more insight. Luke chapter two, we'll start in verse one. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register to to the town that they are from. And so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for a baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room, guest room available for him. A good gift comes in ways that we do not expect it. Think about this, the God of the universe, the coming King of Israel, not born in Jerusalem, but born in a manger, not born in the palace, but born among animals, the way we would least expect it. There's a few interesting things that our tradition and misunderstanding of history has probably taught us wrongly about Jesus coming. And one of those is that Jesus was born in a stable far off in a field. That there was no room for him in the local hotel, and so they put him in the barn. It's actually not the truth, if I can just rock your picture of the Christmas story for a second. You see, Jesus in his day, Joseph, actually Joseph was considered a son of David. And so when Joseph was going to Bethlehem, you see the Bethlehemites, those guys, even though Jerusalem was called the city of David, they still called Bethlehem the city of David. Why? Because that's the place David was from. And so they had this rich history and honor and respect for King David. And so... When Joseph would show up in Bethlehem, there would be family and there would be honor and there would be a place for him. There was a problem, obviously, that Caesar was calling for a census. And so everybody floods the city. But when it says that there's no guest room for him, it's not talking about a hotel room. It's actually talking about the upper room. You see, their houses in that day were configured so that the guest room was the upper room. And so some family had already come in town and they beat Joseph and Mary to the upper room. And so Joseph was, or Mary actually would have given birth in the living room. Now I am the product of home birth, (laughs) but in the living room is like a whole nother game. But the way their houses were configured was this this way, that their animals, their livestock, like their, their sheep and goats, maybe a donkey, actually were in the living room with them with a small dividing wall. And in that place where the animals were was a manger, it was a feeding trough. And so... Jesus was not born out in the backwoods. He was actually born in the main house, but put in the manger because there was no crib for him because the house was full. Pretty interesting, huh? Sorry to blow up all of your, and I just did that for fun. I didn't even have a good point to make with it. Yeah, you're welcome. um, But the truth is, is that when God comes, he comes in ways that we least expected. In fact, we tend to have in our church family, and our culture, certain ways that we would get to God, right? Like we think, hey, if I sing these songs and I do these things and I jump up and down, then maybe God will come. The truth is that he's already here. The truth is, is that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Now he loves to come in ways that we don't expect it, but he's already with us. And he loves to be with us. And so we see this in the story of the birth of Jesus and him being born in a manger. It's the last place that anyone would have been looking for a king, which is why the wise men went to the place that they did. And the truth is, is that he didn't have any of the protections of a royal birth, but instead he came in humility and he came and vulnerability. I love this story. It's from a book, old book called Blue Like Jazz by a guy named Donald Miller. I've told it many times before, but I believe that it paints a picture of what Jesus coming to earth uh, would look like, a way that we can understand it. There were several hostages in the Middle East. They'd been American citizens. They had been taken hostage, held for ransom at the threat of death, thrown into a cell, tortured. And so every time the door opened to the cell, it would always be bad news. Somebody would come in, take one of them off, interrogate him, torture him a little bit, inflict some pain, throw them back in there. Well, this day was different. This day, the Navy SEALs were on the way. So the sills land in their designated spot, rush through, neutralize everybody that's there, and they go to the cell. The cell where these hostages are, and they've got all of their gear on, helmets and cameras and guns and bags and everything that they carry with them. Fully armed. Pop open the cell. Once they find them, and they say, come on. Come on, we're US soldiers. Come with us. As they look in, they find every one of the hostages curled up in the fetal position, paralyzed because the cell door had opened. You see, every other time the cell door had opened it had been bad news. They shouted louder, "Come on. Come with us," as if the hostages were deaf. And Still nothing, no movement. Finally, one soldier recognizes what's going on. Feeling the fear in the room, he takes off his helmet, lays it on the ground. Takes off his bag and lays it on the ground, takes his gun and sets it on the ground. You're never supposed to leave your gun and yet he leaves it there. And he goes, and he makes his way next to those hostages. And he gets down with them, and he curls up next to them. And he begins to whisper, you're safe. I'm an American. I'm going to take you out. We're going to make it. You're going to live. And next, one of the hostages begins to pick up his head. He locks eyes with that soldier, and hope fills his face. He begins to nudge the one next to him and says, We're safe. They've come to get us. We're going to make it. There's a way out. Soon they make their way to their feet. Feeble and worn from all they've experienced, they get carried by the soldiers out of the cell and into safety. I believe this about the incarnation, about The birth story of Jesus. That he became like us. So that we could become like him. He became like us. He laid down all of his armor. Everything that would keep him safe. And he made himself vulnerable. He made himself open. Surrendered his divine privilege so that we could lock eyes with him and make our way to safety so that we could experience salvation. I believe this that a good gift says that I see you, that I'm moving towards you vulnerably in love, that it comes in ways that we least expect it. And finally, that it comes to those who least expect it. We read on in Luke chapter chapter two, verse eight, it says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. If you know anything about shepherds in that culture, they were the lowest of the low. The bottom of the caste system, they did not fit in society. They were stinky and smelly wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And that day, the religious elite thought that they had a corner on the God market. They thought that if God was going to come, then he would come to them. They had it all figured out. They had studied every prophetic word. They knew the way it was going to come. And Jesus, when he came, when God came, when the Messiah showed up, he was going to back their agenda. He was gonna do their work for them. And so when he did not come to them, when he came to shepherds, when he came to a teenage girl in her fiance. They were offended with and in a state of disbelief. They thought there is no way this can be it. And yet I believe this that God doesn't come to those who think they deserve it, but that He comes to those who are humble. Those who are poor in spirit. Those who think that they're the last ones. And if that's you, I want you to know that God is moving in your direction. That he is heading towards you. You see, the religious folks were full of entitlement. Their familiarity with the things of God God, had skewed their vision. And so God coming into the world had to come in a way that they would least expect it. First, or sorry, John 1 verse 11 says this. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be the children of God. A good gift isn't simply given, it's received. It's received, it's enjoyed and received. One of the things about receiving, you see, you can open up a present and not receive it. You can see it, you can have it given to you and not receive it. One of the things that is required in order to receive is an open heart. My thought for, even for myself, for many of us that we've done Christmas time and time again, that it's become so familiar that we miss it, that we miss that God is moving towards us, that we miss that God is headed in our direction, that we miss God's love for us, that we miss that that God actually wants relationship with us, that God is for us, that he's not condemning us, but that he's moving towards us. How are you doing at receiving him? We don't just receive him once, We receive them daily. We often receive them moment by moment, choosing to be aware and grateful. I know we have our kids in here, and I just want to take a second to talk to our kids. Is that all right? Kids, I want you to know this, that God loves you, that he is crazy about you. That he's moving towards you. I love giving gifts, receiving gifts at Christmas. But I want you to know Christmas is way bigger than the toys that we receive, than the games that we receive. It's it's Jesus, it's receiving Jesus. And I think the greatest gift you'll ever receive is in Jesus. Recognizing that God the creator of the universe, the one that made you, loves you and he's moving towards you. That he gave himself for you. And that he wants a relationship with you. That he wants to walk with you. That he wants to be in your life every day. And you have a choice. You can say yes to his pursuit of you or you can quietly say no and move on. But I believe the best decision you could make this year is to say yes to Jesus. So here's what I wanna ask you to do, not just kids, this is for all of us, but especially for our kids. If that's a decision that you need to make, if you wanna say yes to God, then I wanna ask you to do something very special. I wanna ask you on the way home or tonight when you're going to bed, I want you to tell your parents, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to receive Jesus. And parents, I want you to have the opportunity to have that conversation with them, to have that time of prayer with them. Because I believe that God is moving towards our kids in this season. And that this is a special season for our kids. And so let's not miss it. Would you stand with me? We're gonna pray. Oh, Father, we love you. We love you, Father. We thank you, Father, that you sent the Son. And we just receive freshly Jesus. Jesus, we desire you. We want you. You're the best gift we could ever receive. so... Lord, we just thank you for this time. Lord, I pray for our church family, Lord, that wherever we are as we go, Lord, that we would be mindful of Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.